And as you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up with me, please, to Luke chapter 17. We'll be in verses 20 through 37 today as we continue venturing through the Gospel of Luke. Let me ask you this question. What expectations did you uh, come to worship with today? Well, whenever you come in, there's certain things that you just expect. You expect to see uh, at this church, you expect to see Lash and Paul doing their thing. You expect to sing some worship songs. It would be odd if you came in and found Paul Reed dressed up as Elvis singing Jailhouse Rock or something like that. That just really wouldn't be what you expect. You expect at a worship service to sing, to pray, that there'll be a time of giving, that there'll be a sermon, that we will open our Bibles and look at what the Bible has to say. We expect that the sermon will be 25 to 32-ish minutes long. Uh, we, uh, y'all didn't even laugh on that, but uh, we, uh, we pray that you expect the Holy Spirit to use His Word and to speak to your heart. We pray that when we gather for worship that we will have an expectation that we will be changed because we have met with God. Worship is an encounter with God that leads us to change, and we should expect God to challenge us and to show us areas of our life where He is growing us, stretching us, maturing us, using us for His glory. So what happens in life when our expectations are not met? What happens when we don't have our expectations met? Well, at that point, we run into frustration. Now, we're all familiar with frustration, right? Anybody ever never been frustrated? Of course, we're familiar with frustration. And whenever we get frustrated with something, it leads us to access our options. And if we don't really have any viable options in our frustration, then it leads us to a point of despair or a point where we lack hope. Now, we live in the United States of America, and because of uh, our country, we experience a lot of freedoms and a lot of options. So, as Americans, whenever we get frustrated about something, we usually have options that lead us to some sort of action. And whenever we are frustrated and we act, and we act in a wise way, it can lead us to less frustration, and it can even lead us to some good positive solutions in life. But now what often happens within our culture is we get frustrated about something because our expectations are not met, so that then leads us to take a look at our options. And then we also mix in there a lot of emotion with a unconfessed sense of entitlement. And then that leads us to action, but frequently we make bad choices. Now for a season, we feel better. You ever had this happen where you're frustrated about something? And so you just want to do something. So you just figure out something that you can do just to help you not be quite so frustrated. And then like a day or two later, you're like, I really shouldn't have spent that. I really shouldn't have done that. That really wasn't a wise solution. And so here's what happens 
when we get frustrated, we act, we act unwisely, it then leads us to more frustration. It just starts compounding. And so we find this, this never-ending cycle of we're frustrated, got to do something about it, we do something about it, we make an unwise choice, now we're more, we're more frustrated. And the truth is, is that many in this room, you, you walk in here and you're very frustrated with life because of the cycle that has shown itself in your daily living. And that's exactly where the Pharisees were when we arrive at verse 20 of Luke chapter 17. They come to Jesus and and they ask him when the kingdom of God will come. And so Jesus answers them. The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No, No one will say, look here or there, for you see, the kingdom of God is among you. So here's what the Pharisees believed. They believed that for you to be right with God, you had to be a part of Israel. Now, certainly the Jewish people were considered to be a part of Israel, but they also believed that Gentile people, non-Jewish, could become a part of Israel. They were almost like honorary members. So here's how they envisioned the kingdom of God expanding. They thought that the kingdom of Israel would expand like the Roman Empire. You remember the Roman Empire and how it just kind of spread out to conquer much of the settled world at that time. So they began thinking that what will happen is that the kingdom of Israel will grow larger and larger and larger, that people would then come under Israel's domination, and then they would become a part of Israel, and then they could be a part of the kingdom of God. And so they saw this kingdom temporary imperialistic expansion needing to occur for people to be right with God. Jesus and his teaching had been talking a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and they, he kept talking about it in a spiritual sense. That the kingdom of God is going to be expanding within our hearts and from person to person. This spiritual kingdom that Jesus talked about. And so eventually the the Pharisees start getting frustrated. And they're like, enough talk. When is it going to happen? When is Israel going to become the global power? When is it going to happen? So here's what you need to realize to catch this part of the passage. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is already happening. It's already happening. It's happening in hearts. It's happening in the hearts of these people, Pharisees that are listening to me, as God begins to reign in their heart and God begins to do a work from within them and it travels from person to person, from house to house, changing lives from the inside out. And when lives are changed from the inside out, that's when families are transformed and communities are transformed. God had already sent His Son. He was right there in front of them. This is the kingdom of that they were needing and wanting, but it didn't meet their expectation. And because of that, they were missing the work of God, even though it was standing right in front of them. Now often, we uh, grow frustrated with God. Now we don't like to articulate that very often, because after all, He's 
He's God. And so telling him that you're frustrated is probably not always the smartest thing, but we grow frustrated with God. And in our frustration, we often miss what God is doing right in front of us. And so we're like, God, we want you to do something. Now now think about the irony here. The Pharisees were standing in front of Jesus saying, we want God to do something. You catch it? Here's the Son of God. God is doing something. And they were like, God, would you please do something? It's like, he already is. Now, why is it that we often miss God at work? I I would submit to you that the reason why we often miss what God is doing is because we are so consumed with the physical world that we are out of tune with the spiritual world. And so God can be at work right around us, and we miss it because we are so consumed with things that are temporary that we can't even hear the spiritual voice of God. Spiritual growth in your life requires that you go, what we call around here, above the line. Now, what we're talking about when we talk about the line is we're talking about kind of the division between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. We all live in the earthly realm, and there's certain things that have to be done. The kids, for whatever reason, they want to eat three times a day. Something has to be done about that. There's, you have to pay bills. You have to go to work. There's things that you have to do that are just a part of the earthly realm. But for you to grow spiritually, you have to begin going into the spiritual realm. You say, okay, Lash, what am I going to do? Am I going to like float out of my seat? You know, What are you talking about here? No, I'm not talking about anything like that, but I'm talking about learning to live your life as a worshiper, and also learning to see the world around you through a biblical worldview. All of us have a worldview. It's how you interpret the world around you. Do you have a biblical worldview? So in our discipleship materials that Packabush oversees and puts out all the time, you'll see this logo that always has on it WGSL. That's our discipleship process. It stands for Worship grow, serve, live. That's what we want to see happening in your life, that you are a follower of Christ who is worshiping, growing, serving, and living. The first two, worship and grow, require that you set your mind on things that are above. As a worshiper, you begin to live life with a singleness of purpose that transcends every area of life. What is that singleness of purpose? You want to bring glory to God. Now, that sounds simple, but it, 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 can, it can totally transform so much of life because suddenly you now have definition to your marriage, to your parenting, to your career, to the way that you neighbor, in everything that you do, in the attitudes that you harbor, in the words that you speak, in the way that you manage your finances, in the way that you raise your kids, in the way that you try to influence your grandchildren, you want to honor God. And so you bring your life into alignment with God's desire and God's glory. Instead of living life selfishly, you try to live life for the glory of God, and you try to be a worshiper in every area of life. That's foundational to spiritual growth. But then you also must hear from God. You say, well, how do I hear from God? 
Well, the easiest way to hear from God is to read what He has written to us in His Word. I want to encourage you to have a time in your life every day where you open the Word of God and you just read from it. And you ask God to speak to you. A time in your life every day where you stop down. You say, Lash, I don't have time for that. You don't have time not to do it. A time in your life where you just read the Word of God and talk to the Lord. Just pray. God will begin speaking to you and you'll begin to grow spiritually as you listen to the voice of God. You'll see truths in His Word. As you come to Him in prayer, God will begin bending your will so that it fits into alignment with what God is doing. And just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who prayed to God, Lord, this is my will, but not my will, but yours be done, you'll find that your life will be molded like Christ was so that you can be a part of the plan of God for your life. God is active. The kingdom of God is alive within your heart and mine, but so often we miss it because we are so consumed with the temporary world that we're out of tune with the spiritual world. But when my life is in alignment with God's glory and will, the result is that I become a part of God's kingdom work. Now, at this point in the passage, Jesus shifts his attention. Instead of talking to the Pharisees, he's now talking to his disciples. So look at verse 22. So he tells the disciples, The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Don't follow or run after them, for as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So what Jesus is focusing on here is what we call the second coming. My great-great-grandfather was totally consumed with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Anybody know anybody that is just consumed with the second coming of Christ? Yeah, there's, there's folks that are out there that, I mean, they think about this day and night. My great-grandfather was so consumed with it that he would sleep fully clothed. In case the Lord came back, he didn't want to be caught in his underwear when God came back, so he would sleep in his clothes. Beat that. There you go. So it can be fun to speculate about the end of the world. It, it makes a good movie. But Jesus says here, that spending all your days worrying about when Christ will return is like chasing lightning in the sky. That's what verses 23 and 24 are all getting at. Spending all your time saying, oh, look here, look there, this is, gonna, oh, oh, this is it. It's like chasing lightning in the sky. Good luck with that. Before, God, before Christ comes back, there are some things that God desires to do. But now, make no mistake about it, Christ will come again. There is a doctrine, there is a teaching within Scripture called the second coming of Christ, that one day, just as Christ came in Bethlehem, Christ will come again. 
And whenever he comes again, he will not come as the innocent baby of Bethlehem, but whenever he comes again, he will come again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Jesus, in this passage, begins talking about three things in regards to the second coming. Number one, he says, whenever I come again, it's going to surprise people. Look at verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the day of the Son of Man. People went on eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that. On the day, the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus says, hey, remember Noah. God came to Noah and told him that he needed to build an ark. And so Noah worked on that ark for 120 years. His neighbors thought he was absolutely nuts. He was mocked day in, day out. What are you doing, Noah? Building a boat? Why would you build this huge boat? There's no rain in the sky. Anybody see any rain? And then one day, after over a century of mocking, after over a century of living life, it started raining. And it rained. And it rained. And it rained. We can relate to that, can't we? I think we probably need to build the Murphy Road Ark ourselves. So Jesus says, remember that. People mocked him, but God was faithful. He says, remember Sodom. Sodom was an ancient city back from the pages of Genesis. In Sodom, there was all sorts of debauchery and sin that was taking place. It was a wicked place, and Lot, Abraham's nephew, became captivated with Sodom, and at first he lived just within view of it, but then he moved his tent closer, and before you know it, he was hanging out at the courtyard and spending time with the leaders of the city. Sodom was just a wicked place. They used to say, what happens in Sodom stays in Sodom. Life went on year after year. But one day it started raining there as well. It rained fire and sulfur, and the city was destroyed. And Jesus says, when I come again, it's going to surprise some people. They're going to be going on with life, thinking it's never going to be happening, even mocking God, but don't be, don't, don't be fooled. One day I will come again. Now there's a second truth here, and Jesus teaches us that when He comes, It will be too late. Verse 31 says, On that day a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. You remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. So he's talking about the second coming or the rapture of Christ. Now, one of the things that I have learned about God is that he really doesn't get in a hurry 
Anybody else ever notice that about God? Seems like he's never early, right? He never gets in a hurry. God always does things in his time. But I've also learned this about God. That when he acts, he really acts. And whenever God says, okay, I'm ready, and I'm ready to act, things often happen very quickly. I sometimes talk to Christians who are in that waiting stage, and they're waiting for God, and they're just waiting for Him to do something, and they're, they're kind of anxious about it. They're like, why doesn't He just hurry up and do some things? And I'm like, maybe you just need to take a deep breath, because when God's going to act, He's going to act, and it's going to get wild then, okay? So get ready. And it's easy to think in our lives, I'll get to that tomorrow, particularly whenever it comes to the spiritual things. I know there's some areas of my life that I, I need to deal with. I know that I need to quit thinking this way. I need to quit doing those things. I need to, I need to, I need to get right with God, but I'll do that tomorrow. I know that I really need to spend the time with the children. I, I know that I need to go see the grandchildren. I know that I need to detach from some of these things that consume me so much and to really live the life that God has given me. But, you know, I'll get to that tomorrow. I know that I need to use my spiritual gifts, and I know that I need to serve God at the church and to, to be involved in my community, but I'll, I'll get there tomorrow. And Jesus wants to emphasize that sometimes you don't have tomorrow. Sometimes tomorrow may be too late. And so he says, lose your life today. Spend your life today doing the things that God has called you to. Get, get lost in the calling of God and don't wait for tomorrow to get right with God. Don't wait for tomorrow to say, then I'll make the change. But instead, do it now. A third thing about the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes again, it will be final. It'll be final. And so we come to one of the greatest quotes of Jesus. This is like right out of a movie. The disciples say to Jesus, Where, Lord? They asked him. And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. I love that verse. Put it on a t-shirt, right? <laughs> Where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. I mean, that's just a fantastic verse. You need to put that on your refrigerator. So, you know, right with your child's artwork, you know, where the corpse is, there will the vultures also be gathered, Jesus, in quotes, okay? And that's a fantastic verse right there. So what's he getting at? This is also paralleled in the book of Revelation. And so imagine that all of human history is an epic battle. And you have the forces of God and the forces of evil, and they have been clashing. And right now, we find ourselves in the midst of this battle. You've seen movies like this. The flaming arrows are in the air. We're hiding beneath our shields. The swords are clashing, and, and the, the screams are going forth, and the sounds of battle are everywhere. But eventually, the scene shifts. And the battlefield grows quiet. And as you look up to the sky, 
the vultures gather over the corpse of the enemy. And so what Jesus is saying here is that whenever I come again, I will bring an end to the battle. And my enemies will find themselves helpless. And my enemies will find themselves separated from me in eternal death. And the vultures will gather over their corpse. Some of you are saying, Lash, this is the best passage of Scripture ever. And others of you are saying, Ooh, that's kind of harsh for Jesus. Isn't he supposed to be all soft and kind? Yeah, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? That's kind of that's rough. Yeah. It's kind of harsh. But so too are the headlines of our day. If you look out at our world right now, you find that we live in a world that is saturated by evil. A world that is needing to be freed from the bondage and the grip of injustice and darkness around us. In fact, Romans describes it like a woman who is in labor pains. The creation groans, desiring to be free from its pain. In the last two weeks, our world smiled in unity for the Olympic Games. Some of you are sleepy today because you stayed up to 3 o'clock in the morning watching curling every night for the last two weeks. I'm a world-class athlete. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't want to make fun of it. I know I'm offending them by the boatload right now here, right? Now, you guys survived the corpse verse, and you're leaving on curling, but anyway. So while the Olympics are, are going on, just 40 miles north is the DMZ line between North and South Korea. Just about 168 miles to the capital of North Korea. And so you have the world coming together with smiles and inspirational stories of unity And just a few miles away, people are living with untold suffering in literal darkness. The Colonel Bill Price was telling me a story this morning about how a few years ago, a man came and started passing out Bibles in North Korea. They followed him. They caught all the people that he passed Bibles out to and took them to a stadium and publicly executed them. That's the evil that people live with day in and day out in that place. 2.19 p.m. Eastern Time, Valentine's Day. Nicholas Cruz gets out of the car and thanks his Uber driver and then enters the freshman building and kills 17 young students. As a dad now, I see their faces and my heart just breaks. When we gather here next Sunday, there will be new headlines. There will be new stories of darkness and evil. The headlines will change, but the subjects will basically stay the same. And Jesus reminds us today that one day He's going to come again. 
and He will make all things new. The shalom of creation that has been fractured by sin will be restored. And one day He will bring justice to the darkness. You say, well, what am I supposed to do today? Well, let me give you three practical things. Number one, ask God to drain you of frustration and fill you with faith. You see, when you begin to understand that there is hope beyond this world, when you begin to understand that there is a sovereign God who is on His throne and He is guiding history and He will bring the events of history to a close, that He will bring justice to the injustice, it allows you not to have to live your life in fear, but instead to be able to live your life in faith, trusting that even though you don't have all the answers, even though that you can't see everything that's going to happen, you can trust God because He does have all the answers. In fact, if you read the story of Christ time and time again, that's what He was calling Christians to do. Believe in me. Trust me. Place your faith in me. So as Christians, even though we experience the human emotions just like everybody else does, and there's times where we're frustrated and times where we get angry, we don't have to live in the grip of frustration because we can release that frustration and instead live in faith. And my friends, there is so much to do today. So build your ark. Build your ark. Whatever that may look like. If you're in that stage where uh, you're raising kids and just trying to get them all through diapers, build your ark. Do well in doing good. If you're in that stage where you're a student trying to get through school and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's my career going to be and what path do I need to chart to get to that career, build your ark. If you are in the, in the grips of the career and you're finding yourself kind of in that grind where you're just trying to make ends meet and get to work on time and do the job that you have and still manage the family, just build your ark. Whatever you do here at the church, just build your ark, whether it's door greeting or being a life group teacher, working with a wand whatever it might be just build your ark and be faithful to build your ark because God honors faithfulness secondly love people I pray that we don't have that toxic angry Christian spirit that I see on display in some places because I think that toxic angry Christian spirit pushes people away from the cross. Now, don't hear me as saying that we don't stand on anything. There are truths from the Word of God that we stand on that are often unpopular within culture. But you can stand on truth and still be a loving person. And you can stand on truth while living a life that draws people to the cross rather than pushing them away. There are billions of people living their lives with unfulfilled expectations. And because of that, they're frustrated. And because of their frustration, they're looking at all their options, and they're doing something. And frequently, what they are doing is unwise. And so, they just find themselves in this cycle. 
I'm frustrated. I look at my options. I make a decision. I feel a little bit better for a day or two after that decision, but then I discover that the choice I made was not wise, so now I have more frustration. And that happens year after year, and eventually they begin living their lives just in quiet desperation, almost numb. And you and I, as believers, have a message of hope and freedom, a message that is meant to be shared. So love people. Meet them at their point of need. Get to know your neighbors. Invite them to church. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. Try to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and minister to the people around you just as Christ ministered to the people around Him. A Christian ought to love others and share the gospel with others. And then thirdly, live with a heavenly expectation. See, one of the main messages of this passage today is that everything that we experience in this world is truly temporary, but there is something beyond. Everything that you collect is temporary. Your life here in this realm is temporary. But one of the great messages of Jesus is don't despair over that, because I have something eternal for you. This week, the Christian community in our country said goodbye to one of the true great heroes of the Christian faith, Billy Graham. In 1952, Billy Graham came to Dallas, Texas. He was going to lead what they used to call a crusade, um, at the Cotton Bowl. There was a 13-year-old boy who had been growing up in central Texas. He didn't have anything. He was as poor as can be. His father was not a good guy. In fact, uh, his father was often turned to alcohol to deal with his problems. And whenever this little boy was five, six, seven years old, his dad would come home from the bars and pull him out of bed and whip him at night for no reason. He watched his mom uh, be abused, and he and his older brother would pray that God would give them strength one day to be big enough to beat up their daddy. Can you imagine your son or grandson praying that? Whenever he was 12, he got in a car, and they were racing, and Going about 100 miles per hour at the top of the hill, they had a head-on collision with another vehicle. Amazingly, they all survived the collision. And after that wreck, the Lord began telling that 12-year-old boy that he needed to make some changes in his life. God got his attention. And so he began to realize that he needed to be saved. So he told himself, whenever I hear a really good sermon, I'm going to get saved. Good thing he didn't go to Murphy Road, or he never would have gotten saved. But, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, so, I appreciate the groan. So, he went to go hear Billy Graham preach that night at the Cotton Bowl. And when Billy Graham got up and spoke those simple salvation messages that he always preached, a little boy said to himself, that's a good sermon. And so, whenever the crowd began singing, Just As I Am, 
A 13-year-old boy walked down the steps and went down to the dugout. And there he gave his life to Christ. And everything changed. From that moment, his older brother became a Christian as well. And then they went and shared the gospel with their siblings. And they had a bunch of them. They uh, eventually had their mom get baptized with them. And then that 13-year-old boy got called to preach and became a man. And he had children. And I call him Dad. Everything changed that night in 1952 when he came alive in Christ. And every single day of my life, I am indebted to the ministry of Billy Graham because he changed my family's trajectory. Everything changed. So Billy Graham had an incredible quote. He said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. In fact, that's him calling right now. (laughs) Sorry, it it rang. How's he doing? Okay, let me back up. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's a man who lived life with a heavenly expectation. And during the 99 years that God gave him here on earth, he built his ark. He did what God had called him to do. And he did it faithfully. And I pray that you will do the same. Build your ark. Live with a heavenly expectation. And pray to God that He might drain you of that daily frustration and fill you with a godly faith. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads. The musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of commitment. I'll be here at the front. If today needs to be the day where you trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, I'd ask you to come see me. I would love to talk to you about how you can be a Christian. If there's anything that I may pray with you about or encourage you in, it's always my honor and joy to be a pastor to you. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we bring our expectations to you and we bring our frustrations to you. And we ask that you might drain us of that anxiety, that fear, that frustration that grips us and threatens to rob us of the deep, deep joy that you desire us to have. Instead, Lord, may you fill us with a faith that comes from above. And Father, I pray that out of that faith we will be faithful to build our ark, whatever that may look like. To be faithful, to do what you've called us to do, and to be the people you've called us to be. And I pray that we might live with the eternal in mind. May we never lose sight of hope, and may we never lose sight that though the creation in which we live often groans in in the grips of evil, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, 
and that one day Christ will come again to make all things new. We find strength and we find hope in that, and we keep on going, serving you with faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.